The text for today is Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had the spirit of predicting the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for several days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them in front of the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. The crowd supported the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered that they be stripped and beaten. After they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was ordered to keep careful watch on them. When he received these orders, he put them in the innermost cell and attached their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that shook the very foundations of the prison. At once, all the prisoner doors were thrown open, and all of their chains came loose. The jailer woke, and when he saw that the doors were open, he drew his sword to kill himself because he expected that all of the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, then rushed in and fell trembling before Paul. He said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all of your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. At that night, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them out and cleaned their wounds, and immediately he and his whole household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was full of joy because he had come to believe in God, he and all of his household. Let us pray. Lord, in this examination of the word and in this dramatic story, may we find peace 
and may we find the answer to how we are to praise you. Amen. So this is quite the story. This is one of the prison-based stories that has the most powerful role in all of scripture. Prison and being in chains, being confined, that is, that is a theme you can find in various places throughout the Bible, but this one has incredible power. And it does focus in on three different individuals in the story, three different focal points. And experts in the scriptures and theologians through the ages have studied this text from various angles. But we're going to look at it from the angle of praise. The idea of what is praise and how do we give praise always? What does it look like? How can we hold on to praise even when things aren't perfect? And so we're going to go into the angle, the avenue, the viewpoint of the three prime individuals in this story. And first up is the slave girl. This woman or girl, we have no specific age given to her, she is the representative of what praise looks like when our hearts are not quite right. So she represents what praise looks like when our hearts are not quite right. Let's look at her story a moment. We don't get a ton of information about her. Like I said, we don't know her age. Um, but we know that she is a slave. We know that she is a female. So those things already put her in this ancient society in a place of subservience. She would have very, very few rights, very few independent actions that she can govern. And in fact, she is working here for her owners, not just in your typical kind of default slave mode, you know, cleaning or making meals or um, serving every need of her household. She instead is making money for them because she has a spirit, an evil spirit um, in the eyes here of Paul and Silas that has given her the ability to tell the future, to fortune tell. So we all sometimes have those hunches, those, those nudges, and oftentimes those are motivated through the Holy Spirit where we are given um, kind of this knowledge of what to do next. But this is not what her situation is. She is being used in this time, in this place, to make money for her owners by being an actual fortune teller. People pay her to give them some preview of their future. And we don't know the setup. We don't know if there's anything during this time, like a crystal ball or tea leaves or any of those ways that we kind of think of for fortune telling. But we know that this woman, in her stage in life as a servant, is employed or um, governed over even by her owners for the express purpose of making money by fortune telling. And therefore, she, as theologian Brian Peterson points out, she has a double, um, double governing, a double hold over her life here because she is a slave and she is possessed by this spirit that is causing her to do things that are against the teachings of Christ but her owners think it's pretty cool because they're making money off of her. And so when we look at her in this story, she is actually praising God. She is saying the truth that Paul and Silas and the others with him are there to spread the word of God and to save people. But she, her voice is saying that 
uh, through the possession of the spirit that we have to assume is saying these things in a taunting manner. Because why would Paul get annoyed at somebody singing praises to God? So we have to assume it's taunting, it's persistent, it's sneering, it's mocking, and yet it is praise. You know, how often are we in a situation where the praise that we give to God in the things that we do and say is not coming from a place where our hearts are settled and focused on him? You know, we may not be possessed by an evil spirit, but I think we could all agree that at points in our lives, we have praised God to look good. You know, others are watching us. We need to praise him. Hey, I may not be feeling this praise, but I'm praising him anyway because others are watching us. Or maybe we praise God because it's our routine. We were brought up to do it, but we have no actual feeling while doing it. We, when we're saying the words, oh, God is great, thank you, God, you are so good, we may be saying it with our lips, but not saying it with our hearts. Or I know I fall into this one, and I think you'll join me there. How about the times when we praise God because we want something from him? We think that if we praise him hard enough, you know, we we go to enough services, we do enough good deeds, we say enough pretty words that he will do something for us as if our God is a God of bargaining, of if you do this much, then I will give you this much. All of those situations are not that different from this slave girl. She is speaking words of praise, but they are not rising from her heart. And so what does God do about that? God gives Paul annoyance. Isn't it kind of cool to think that these high biblical People, you know, who are at the root of our church history actually got annoyed. Have you been annoyed yet today? Okay. Maybe you are right now. I hope not. Okay. But he gets annoyed so much that he turns around and he casts that demon out. That's what God does about it. We don't ever, ever hear what happens to that girl after that spirit of fortune telling is removed from her. Nothing. I believe that God does not leave us anywhere alone. And if God equipped Paul with the power to cast out that demon from her, then he had a purpose for her life. There could be no other reason that Paul turned and did that at that moment in front of so many others. I'd like to think that after those owners got over their anger, that she could no longer make them money because she couldn't tell fortunes anymore, that other opportunities were opened in her life, and that she was aware of the freedom she had from the evil spirit. And I would like to picture that somehow that change in her existence brought a change in her heart so that the praises, when she said the next time, this is the God who saves people, that she was saying it because God was moving in her heart. So if she is the example of what praise looks like when our hearts are not in the right place, the jailer would be the example of what praise looks like when others influence that praise. This also could be put into one word that is the theme for the upcoming sermons that Stephanie and Brandon will give, 
discipleship. The jailer is not a believer. We do not know his history. We do not know his whole story. But he is a Roman, and he is working in this prison with the express purpose of keeping the prisoners in prison. And so when he gets these two individuals, Paul and Silas, who have been flogged and who are now, you know, being thrown into prison, they're wounded, they're bleeding, and they're being thrown into prison with the extra statement, watch them carefully. The jailer would only assume what his training as a jailer would tell him, which is these are, these are tricky guys. They have done something really, really wrong, and they deserve the worst punishment. So he takes extra steps to fulfill his job. He's very diligent. And he's not just putting them in a prison cell. He's putting them in the innermost cell, and he is attaching their feet to the stock. So he is chaining them to the wall. So in that act of utter diligence, he is fulfilling what he is supposed to do. Can you imagine the horror that he felt when he was sleeping and suddenly awakened by the shaking and trembling, which would have been scary anyway? And then he opens his eyes, and he has just enough light there to see that all the prison doors are open, all of them. You can imagine him being in some central place where he can look at all of those doors, and they're all open. Okay, it's been the middle of the night, so he doesn't know exactly what happened, but something major just shook the foundations of his prison, his place of employment, and the job that he does with such conscientious focus. And now those doors are all open. He grabs for his sword. He knows in that moment that he has failed. Because if there are open doors of these cells, then of course all the prisoners would be gone. They have to be. They're only human. They've been held, and now somehow in this freakishly unexpected moment of all these doors being thrown open, they have to have escaped. And he knows in the diligence to his job that the punishment for not being diligent would be his life anyway. So he's taking his sword, and he's going to kill himself. Paul, again, it's kind of dark in there, so we have to assume that the right light, the right angle was given here. Paul calls out to him, says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He is speaking for all of them, not just Paul and Silas. Understand this. He is speaking for people in other cells that he cannot see. There'd be no physical way that that prison could be set up so that he could see every prisoner in this building. He can't know the hearts and minds of the other prisoners who have been in there before he and Silas were thrown in there, but he is still saying, we're all here, don't kill yourself. We're here, calm down, it's okay. At that point, the guard, the, guard, the jailer, runs to Paul and Silas and throws himself down at their feet and trembles. And his words are quite profound. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? I, when I was preparing for this sermon, found an interesting uh, kind of reflective moment about that quote, Sirs, what must I do to be saved, from a theologian named Eric Barreto, 
who says, you know, we truly don't know whether he was reacting to this inner desire to know God, or maybe he was reacting in that moment to the human knowledge, holy cow, all these doors are open, and when my boss finds out that all the doors are open, like, he's going to get me, so what can I do to be saved? You know, we don't know. We don't know where that plea came from. But God knows. Because in those next moments, Paul and Silas talk to him about God. They speak the word of God, and this is still happening at the prison. And the jailer brings them to his home, and he cleans their wounds, feeds them, and has himself and his whole household baptized. Because of Paul and Silas, the words that they spoke, the actions that they undertook, this jailer sees the truth and is converted. He becomes a Christian in that moment, in that prison experience. We influence each other. We do not exist in a vacuum. We are constantly looking to see how the other person handles this or that. Is this person consistent with what he does and what he says, or what she does and what she says? That is discipleship. That is perhaps this desire to be what somebody else is or have what they have when the peace that passes all understanding guards their life, even in the horrible, hard times. Sometimes we become Christians because we are imitating that goodness we see in others. Sometimes we become Christians because we are inspired. We see in the words and deeds, and we want that, and our lives are changed. When that jailer started his overnight shift, he could never have anticipated that two new prisoners who were thrown into the prison and put in the innermost solitary confinement, darkest, most hideous room he has, that those two men, through the grace of God, would change his life. But in that moment, in that change, in that transformation, that jailer represents how we praise when that praise is influenced by others. And we all, on both ends of that, the watcher, the doer, the believer, and the one who wants to believe, we are all interconnected. So if the girl represents how we praise when our hearts are not right, and the jailer represents how we praise when that praise is influenced by others, then the core of the whole story comes down to what Paul and Silas represent. Paul and Silas represent how to praise no matter what. No matter what. So let's walk through their story a moment. They are out evangelizing. They are spreading the good news of Jesus. They are in this town. They are doing a good thing and because they did a good thing, they come under the microscopic, judgmental eye of the magistrates, and they are punished for it. They are thrown into prison, again, into the worst kind of cell that you could imagine. 
And I love the portion of this passage that has at midnight. Okay, I don't know what you were doing at midnight last night, but I was sleeping. Now, lots of high schoolers in our community were out uh, dancing at the prom or going to the after prom or, you know, having a shake at Steak and Shake with their fancy prom clothes on. They were out and about, but the majority of us would be sleeping. Paul and Silas have been traveling. They've been beaten. They're tired. They're thrown into a prison. There is no light. You have to imagine it is a horrible, cold, moist, uncomfortable place. Probably no bed. They're chained to the wall. And yet at midnight, they're praising God. They're praising God. They're praying and singing hymns. And they are doing it so boldly and loudly and confidently that all of the other prisoners are listening. What a moment of praise that is. Chuck Colson is probably the most known individual in perhaps all of biblical history who focuses on prison ministry. He does so much to reach prisoners and has for decades, and his ministry is one that meets people at the darkest place of their lives while they are in prison and brings the word to them. And he says that the whole idea of praising God no matter what speaks to our need to learn the power of praising God in the midst of pain. In the midst of pain. Not because we want the pain to go away, but praising him in the midst of pain. You see, praise doesn't have a purpose besides glorifying God. Praise is not, oh God, you're wonderful, will you please help me get that job? Or, God, thank you for everything in your life. If you could just give me a raise right now, it would be even wonderful, more wonderful. You know, it's not that. Praise is praise. It is focused on God. How in the world did Paul and Silas praise God at midnight in a prison? They're injured, okay? They were beaten severely. They praised him anyway. So physical pain, pain from injury, pain from disease, pain from cancer, pain from arthritis, pain from migraines, pain whatever, Paul and Silas, by their example, tell us to praise God through that anyway. They were punished for doing good. They weren't punished for doing something bad. They were not criminals. They were punished for doing something good. Have you ever been punished, reprimanded, blamed for doing something that was actually good, but the one punishing you doesn't want to hear it? So you have that resentment. You have that frustration. You have the consequences that aren't just. Paul and Silas say, praise God anyway. They were bound, okay? They were not just in a prison cell, walking around, stretching their muscles, you know, doing jumping jacks to stay loose. They were bound to the wall. Have you ever been bound? Not even physically, but mentally, spiritually, tied to something that doesn't feel right, but you're stuck there? What a frustrating and painful experience that is. Paul and Silas say, praise God anyway. They were in the dark, 
In the dark, there were no lights. I know you know what darkness feels like. We all have had times in our lives where darkness is completely engulfing, where there is no light, no hope. It is so easy to be afraid in the dark. Paul and Silas say, praise God in the dark. And I think the most profound part of what they say to us in praising God is what happens after, after that earthquake, after the doors fly open, after the jailer almost kills himself because he thought everybody escaped. The most profound part here is Paul and Silas and the other inmates did not escape. They could have. Some would think they should have, but they didn't. That's not what praise was for. Praise was praising God, was elevating him, was thanking him. They, in their praise, did not cause that earthquake that made those doors open and those chains fall loose. They did not have some magic power. Do not interpret the story as, if I am adamant enough in my praise to God, then I am going to be like a magician. That is completely contrary to the first part of this story with that slave girl who could tell the future. They praised God because they wanted to praise God. They did not praise God so that they would be free. And they exemplify that by not walking out of that prison. And yet, God honors that praise by moving the heart of the jailer, by setting Paul and Silas free, by continuing the story because their praise was praise no matter what. So how do we make sense of this? How does God take our praise when our hearts are not in the right place, when it's influenced by others, or if, blessedly, we are able to praise God no matter what? What does he do? The biggest thing that we need to take from this text is that lack of connectivity between our praise and what God does. We cannot associate them, but we do all the time. Think about it. When you are cold, cause, effect, you put on a jacket. When you are thirsty, cause, effect, you take a drink. When you are tired, cause, effect, you take a nap. When you are happy, cause, effect, you laugh. When you are sad, cause, effect, you cry. Our life, our existence on this earth is tied to cause, effect. So when we read the story and we see that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praising God, and then right after that, the doors fling open and the chains fall loose. It is so tempting to say, whoosh, they did that. They, did, they are so stinking good at praising that they made those doors open and those chains fall down. Oh yeah, praise God for giving them that power, right? Praise God for empowering Paul and Silas with that much to make those chains fall and those doors open. That's not quite right. They were praising God, not for an outcome. They were praising God because God is God. God chose to open those doors and loose those chains. God chose that moment of their 
apparent freedom, not being bound, to exemplify to the jailer and to the waiting world that he is all-powerful and has a purpose. And I think that's what it comes down to, is purpose. When I started teaching over 25 years ago now, the beginning of my career was dark and heavy. I've, se- I've shared this multiple times in speeches all around the country, but I don't think many listening know just how bad it was. Everything was going wrong in the classroom. My colleagues were talking about how I didn't deserve to be there. Parents stood up in the middle of meetings and said that their children should not have to be exposed to a blind teacher. Everything was wrong. And there were nights when I sat on my couch at home and I could not move. I was so paralyzed by pain that I could not move. There was one song, one song that cut through my pain, one song that helped me move from that couch fall to my knees, and figure out this praise thing a little bit more. I think some of you will remember the Gaithers, yes? Yes, the Gaither band and all. They are responsible for so much movement in the Christian music industry, and they sing a version of this song. We're going to watch it, Just it's like two minutes long here. I want you to fall into this song that was the only song that cut through my prison my first couple of years of teaching. I love you, Lord, sing and I
listen to the words of that song. It's pure praise. It is not, I sing this song to you because I need you to change something in my life. It is because I sing this song to you because you are my God and I want to give you joy. It is not for any purpose other than glorifying God. And somehow those words of that song broke through my pain, my binding, my sorrow, and my darkness. The way that praise can break through yours. My dad visited George in the hospital Friday morning, and they had a great conversation. George talked about this church service today. He told the nurse to come. (laughs) He knew that his time on earth was not to be long. But he wasn't begging my dad to pray for his healing. He was talking about life and God and family, and worship. We don't praise God because we want something out of it. We praise God because he is our God. We praise him, not so that those doors will be flung open and those chains will be loosed, but because he is our God. And when we can praise him in our pain, our uncertainty, our isolation, our darkness, our grief, we are honoring the God who gave all of that to us along with the family, joy, hope, new opportunities. It is not cause effect that we praise and good things will happen the cause effect in this story and in our life is that God created this world and sent his son to die for us. And the effect, as George knows right now, is that we will be with him forever. And that is why we praise God. And if we can do that in the darkest corners of our own prisons, then our faith The faith of our fathers is living strong. To close, I want you to open your bulletins because I believe the words of the song that the Gaithers sang um, are in there. I guess I should have checked before. Yes? Are they in there? Are the words, is that in there or no? No, it's not. Okay, and that is why we have the fabulous praise team that we do have who are going to lead us in this. Will you guys all stand, please? Paul and Silas sang so that the very walls of that prison shook and trembled, but not because of their own power because that was what God was doing in that moment. I'm going to ask us to sing, I love you, Lord, 
as the praise team leads us and just join in. And we're going to do it three times through a cappella here. And as you sing or listen, I want you to try to imagine living your life so that you are not torn by the torment and imprisonment of the things that keep you bound, but that you lose yourself in the incredible praise and glory that is meant only to lift up the beautiful truth that God is our God and that we love him. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. place, these people, and the word that you have given, so that we may learn to praise you in all times, in all seasons, no matter what. Amen. <laughs>